Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Bill, welcome back. Uh, yeah, indeed, it's our weekly chat, so it's awesome. It is. Yeah, and it'll continue with COVID, I think, because it's the topic of the hour and we're seeing cases rising throughout the Northern Hemisphere. So I think we need to continue to talk about this and uh, review what's available for testing, because I know it's really on people's minds these days. No, I agree. And so, uh, you know, here in the first week of November for us, it's sitting in Rochester, we are now in the midst of this kind of surge of cases that many other areas of the country have and the world have experienced. And so we're now getting it really firsthand. And it does really, again, illustrate how far we've come with the pandemic in terms of how our ability to manage it, but also the real importance uh, of diagnostic testing. Yeah, I agree. So maybe you and I can review uh, sort of a testing 101. What are the tests that we offer here at Mayo Clinic, but also across the country for diagnosing COVID? Yeah, it is good to reflect. This, so much has changed since last March when we really, I don't know if we dove in or if we got pushed in headlong into the pool to, <laughs> right. to deal with yeah. COVID. So, I mean, at that point, the focus was, and it, of course, we had the privilege here, myself personally, to be part of the White House task force, to meet with them anyways, not part of it, to help address the national need for testing there in the early days of March and April of 2020. And there at that time, the focus was just working with companies like Thermo Fisher, Roche, others to build the in-lab testing capacity that the country needed. And that's really where it was about the in-lab molecular testing for the nucleic acids of the virus, typically PCR, but there are some other molecular methods. There's a whole variety of companies that really have stepped up. And so we have been working furiously to build that capacity so that if you get a test done and they send it to a lab, the lab actually has the capability to run it. And that's really been almost entirely the molecular testing for the viral nucleic acids at this point. We saw through the summer, we had just struggled because we went from having literally zero of these tests in March or at least in early February to where we needed to be doing millions of these tests a day by the summer. So it's taken a while to catch up. I think the good news is that really uh, from the, that in the laboratory test for the nucleic acid of COVID, we really do have great capacity nationwide, not just at Mayo Clinic Labs, but in hospital labs, at, at some of the other big labs, Quest and LabCorp, we've been kind of communication with them. So there's a lot of capacity out there for the in-lab test, which is good. There's our other tests that are becoming available that include the antigen test, there's been one that's been around for a bit now, but there's more and more of these, including some that can be read off of a card, the lateral flow tests, and also now more high-throughput antigen tests, so those tests for the protein of the virus that are going to be in the lab. There's some of those, I think, that will be announced, too. So we're going to see more tests, more that can be done in a central laboratory, and more that can be done at the point of contact. So point of care in a patient care setting, but point of contact for screening. So more and more are coming. Yeah, you know, that's a great summary, Bell. And sometimes, you know, I think it's easy to get confused about these different categories. I like to break it down into buckets. Basically, we have our 
methods we use for diagnosis of acute disease. And as you mentioned, that would be the nucleic acid tests where you're actually detecting the genetic material of the virus, mostly PCR, but some other technologies as well, which can be a little confusing for people. But regardless, it's amplifying the genetic material of the virus, it's RNA and detecting it. And then these new antigen tests. So acute diagnosis versus diagnosis of past infection, serology, and boy, we've learned a lot about serology and, you know, it's not the be all end all, but it's helpful in some situations. So I think of those two buckets, but then you also have the buckets of in lab testing, as you mentioned, versus point of care. And it doesn't necessarily fall that PCR is performed in one setting and antigen in the other. Really, you could also do point of care testing using PCR or antigen. So there's different methodologies, but also different locations where people can get testing. I agree with you, our capacity has expanded tremendously. Not that we don't still have struggles, not that some yep. places are oh, still, yeah. you know, trying to meet the needs of testing, but boy, looking back at March where we were back then, and everyone was just trying to get a test, something, now at least we have options. So maybe we could talk a little bit more about antigen tests because those are kind of the new thing. Like you said, we're seeing more of these. In fact, we're, we have some that can be used in our state right now and a lot of states are getting them. Yeah, so- What do you see the major use of those? To your point, I think it's always useful for people to think of things in categories or groups. That's kind of how we organize our, ourselves in discussion of a complex topic. And I kind of see, three groups. There's the in-lab tests that we talked mm -hmm. about. There's those that are still in the healthcare, but at point of care. So like when someone goes into a, an, an urgent care clinic and they can get a flu test right there, you know, where you wait and they'll give you the result in 15 minutes. And then there's a sort of the at-home self-read or somehow read test, like a home pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing now we have much more in the first group than we did. We're seeing the other two being brought in, both antigen and molecular, to your point. Antigen and molecular are probably more at the urgent care, point of care test. And then they, the reason there's such interest in the antigen test for people is that that type of testing does lend itself to the self-read kind of lateral flow or, you know, like the home pregnancy test, style test. Most of those will be for the antigen. The two things I think that are important for people is that for the point of care tests, we and others have really focused on a test, just like any other that would perform nearly as well as what we do in the central laboratory. So those will be very accurate, are as accurate, but the challenge is that those tests are much where we were six, eight months ago with the in-lab tests and that there's just not a whole lot of them available. And there probably won't be through our flu season here. And that's where it gets confusing. I saw this great article on this new test from Roche called the Liat, and I can just walk into a doctor's office and they'll tell me in 15 minutes if I have flu or COVID. Well, that is true, but the reality is that Roche can't only make so many of those. So that means even a place like Mayo might only have a few hundred of those available for the entire practice for on a single day. The antigen test that can be kind of on a card, that type of testing can be grown quickly. They can be produced quickly. Uh, there's a real globe focus globally to do that. The challenge is how well do they perform? It just stands to reason most people if they do a home pregnancy test. Now they're pretty good, but in their, you look back, they always advise that this wasn't really a diagnostic test. It just helped you understand if you need to go to a doctor to get a test. And that's kind of where we're at with most of the COVID tests right now. Well, you know, I like how you expanded that because I had forgotten about that at-home testing bucket, but that really is 
something we're going to see grow. And I agree, it's an evolution. Back in March, we were just struggling, as I said, to have any type of diagnostic test, and those were our nucleic acid, our molecular PCR-based tests. Now we have a lot of those, but the point-of-care tests are coming out, and like you said, they're in limited supply, especially those molecular tests. They're good, but the manufacturers are working as hard as they can to come up with them. So I kind of think of the pros and cons of each testing option for acute diagnosis, and they each have their pros and cons. Yeah, yeah, and they each have their struggles, too, in terms of just yeah. making them available. I know for some of the manufacturers, the reason that the point-of-care testing is not available now is because, well, four months ago, they were using all of those facilities to produce the in-lab test because that's really what was needed. Although we're all fatigued, we're almost into 2021, and we, we still call it COVID-19, but the reality is that it's still overwhelming parts of the healthcare system. Yeah. Well, the Mayo Brothers had said that the only constant thing is change. And so it's going to continue to change and we're going to continue to evolve our understanding, our testing options. Probably the latest areas will be the antigen testing and their expansion, but then understanding their limitations, false negatives and false positives, and then really expanding into that at-home collection and at-home testing. Yep, I and, you agree. Know, that's actually, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say we should talk a little bit about that, you know, with false negatives and false positives. They have some important implications, you know, telling someone they have COVID, and then they have to quarantine for 14 days, you know, is not just a thing to dismiss lightly. That'll be really the next challenge for us in the laboratory. The challenges going forward are probably more the ones that we're used to addressing than the ones that we were dealing with in the early days of the pandemic. I, you know, I, I mean, I can never recall a time in my career that the real challenge was, Dr. Maurice, how can you go from zero to 180 miles an hour on this testing capacity in two weeks? I mean, that's just not something anyone's used to. Now, a big part of our profession and as healthcare providers is, I have a question that needs to be answered by a test. What's the best test for that purpose and what answers can it give me or not give me? And that's what we're going to really be confronting as there's more and more testing options for COVID is advising. Mm -hmm. and, and it'll be unprecedented in that everyone will be interested in the answer, much more so than in the past. And so to your mm -hmm. point, an antigen test, let's go back to the antigen test, which sounds great. You know, I can get a test right there. I can walk up, I can put a specimen on, whether it's a nasal specimen or saliva. Someone can watch it and can tell me in 15 minutes if, if I have COVID or not. Won't that be great? Well, it will be great, but it will also have to understand, typically for most tests, there's the sensitivity, which is if I have the virus, what's the chance that I, the test is gonna be positive? If it's 100%, that means it's 100% sensitive. The other question is, if the test says I have the virus, what's the chance that I really do have the virus? And so that's the specificity. And those typically kind of are, you have to balance those two, because oftentimes the more sensitive to make it, the a test, the less specific it becomes. So let's put that into the context of an antigen test for COVID. I want to get an airplane, I don't want to wear a mask. So I want a test that's 100% sensitive for COVID. That's an antigen test. Great. I walk up. Well, that test, we, to get it to there, we had to get it to 80% specificity. That means that there's a one out of every five people that gets a test is going to be positive and you're going to have to confirm that they do or don't have it. They just have a positive test. Well, what if that's me going on vacation and I have my family, they flew in the night before so we could all go to Hawaii together and now guess what? All five of us now have to be quarantined and we'll miss our flight. 
will miss because of that positive test, they won't be able to tell right away if it's a false positive or not. So those are versus we make it 100% specific. Well, that means that having the test decreases the likelihood of negative that you have it. But now if it's an 80% sensitive, everyone on the plane has to still assume that, that one out of five people on that plane might have COVID. And so they have to wear masks, they have to sanitize, maybe they don't get served meals or get served meals separately. Though the flight might be more expensive because there's fewer seats filled, all of those sorts of things. So that's the balance that we have to figure out going forward. And we'll have to do that in all sorts of settings as we think about how we protect ourselves from COVID and how the tests work. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Bill, and I appreciate talking about this. It just reinforces, in my mind, the importance that our laboratory medicine specialists, scientists, and uh, staff play in this, because as laboratory directors, as scientists, as uh, physicians in laboratory medicine, we have to really make sure that our tests are the best that we can offer, understanding that 20% false positive rate means that one out of every five people is going to get a, a false positive result and then can't go on their vacation to Hawaii, perhaps, yep, you know, yep. so that's, I think leaders in, in laboratory medicine, we have to think about that and can just continue to work as we have been in providing the best testing we can out there. I agree. And, and to remember that our job is not to provide tests. Our job is to provide answers and to help. Yes. Now, in this case, the globe and the country and Mayo Clinic understand how to answer the questions we need to answer about COVID to keep ourselves safe and try and restart society. Well, thank you again for just the good discussion on this topic. It's important and you know this is a stressful time. We have COVID, we have the U.S. elections now, and people are thinking of a lot of different things. We need to be there for one another, support one another, and uh, you and I will continue to work on our COVID response and providing answers for our patients and our communities. Here we are in November. This is stressful. Holidays coming up, everything else just remember people can't see us because the podcast but remember to smile you know and, yes. and just remember to smile that find something to smile about even the fact that it's a blue sky outside people need to remember that completely agree thanks again bell great talking to you as always uh, enjoyed it as always Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <music>